Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here on the broadcast. It is October 13th, and it is Columbus Day. So happy Columbus Day to all of you that are tuned in, listening in. We appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got a full lineup. We've got Paul Malo on the line. We've got Sam Garcia. We have got uh, some special guests. Really excited about our topic today. We've got uh, Brad Lua and Greg and Valby along with Scott. Scott Valby of Greg and Valby. There, we're going to be talking about the mini correspondent lending program later in the broadcast. And it's a big topic, and there's a lot of panels on it. In fact, I'm speaking this week in uh, New Jersey on this topic. So I'm thrilled that we've got to get it introduced while here on the air today. Again, it's October 30th, 13th. Not 30th, that's not rushed. It's October 13th. We say that at the beginning of every broadcast. For those of you that have downloaded and listening to it, you know which one we're talking about. Again, this broadcast was created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals. We're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award from Progress and Lending. Thank you so much to them. Also, uh, very excited about our sponsors. United Guarantee has been a sponsor now for a couple of years. We're really thrilled to have them here with us. Uh, by the way, United Guarantee is the proud to be a Millennium sponsor. A millennium sponsor at this year's Mortgage Banking Association Convention in Las Vegas, October 19th, next week. We'll all be there together. With more than 50 years in the housing finance field, we understand the importance of MBA and all the levels, and we share this with United Guarantee, and they're uh, they're active both locally, regionally, and nationally. They're there at all levels. United Guarantee's 2014 sponsorship makes it possible for the convention goers, such as myself and all the rest of you that are going, to hear the address of Michael Lewis, who is a well-known non-fiction author and financial journalist, and, uh, and including Moneyball and The Blind Side. I didn't realize that, along with his recent book, Flash Boys. So a lot of great information. They're sponsoring him, uh, specifically Michael Lewis, at this convention. So we're thrilled to be in partnership with United Guarantee and appreciate them as a sponsor of this. Be sure to check them out at www.unitedguarantee.com. Also go to our website, look at Unlending in the upper right-hand corner. Click on the link, and you'll be able to get right into their content. I encourage you to get a hold of their local sponsor, or the local representative in your area. If you do not have a relationship with them, folks, you got to. Very good. And uh, very grateful for their sponsorship. Also, VELMA, which stands for Virtual Electronic Marketing Assistant. If you're looking for a marketing solution and make a differentiate them, your company, it's to differentiate your company, and they will do that. Uh, check out VELMA at VELMA.com, V-E-L-M-A.com. Brent and uh, the team there, Catherine, at the, uh, the whole team at VELMA is just top-notch. Uh, i got to tell you, the time and energy they put into this uh, these emails, what they do is 
nothing less than extraordinary. So a special thank you out to them. Of course, we always say thank you to our regulars, Alice, Joe, and, of course, the Prophet Dr. Andy Shell and Sam Garcia and Paul Mallow. appreciate all of them being regular contributors to the broadcast. Now, uh, today we have the markets are closed, so guess where Joe Farr is? He's enjoying Columbus Day up at the lake, and it's a gorgeous day here, nice cool temperatures. He's not that far down the road from where I live and where I'm doing this broadcast uh, between Austin here. But I just want to go over the financial markets. Again, the markets are closed today, nothing today, nor is there going to be any information tomorrow. However, the New York Empire State Index comes out at 8.30 on Wednesday. It's anticipated to come in at 20.0, down from 27.5 the prior month. Also, we have the Producer Price Index anticipated to come in at a positive one-tenth of one percent. That previously was at zero. Retail sales numbers, again, one-tenth of one percent. That's down from the previous reporting period of six-tenths of one percent. Also Wednesday, core PPI, or producer, producer price index, at, again, a positive one-tenth of one percent. Retail sales, excluding auto sales, three-tenths of one percent, same as last month, and then the Fed Beige Book. Now, that's Wednesday. On Thursday, we have jobless claims, industrial production, Philly, uh, Philadelphia Index, Philadelphia Fed Index. Got to get that right. Of course, I'm really interested in the National Association of Home, home Builders housing numbers. Now, they're putting in, it's anticipated to be about the same number. They, again, go out and poll and do a survey of all the all the builders out there that are part of the association, part of this um, review. And so the numbers coming in at 59, if you see it different than that, uh, that could give us an indication of how the home builders are looking at the housing market. We have housing starts on Friday, anticipated to come in at 1,020,000 versus the 956,000 housing starts the previous reporting period the previous month, so we'll see how those come in. Also, consumer sentiment. We're always interested to hear what the consumers feel about the market. That comes in on Friday at 10 a.m. So not much data here Monday and Tuesday. None to today. A little bit trickling in at various other areas, but really nothing that's going to affect mortgage rates until Wednesday. So that's the wrap-up. Last week was one of those really interesting weeks. We had the Federal Reserve talking about interest rates, and they calmed a lot of concerns. Again, we've been having such positive employment data. You look at the fact that the unemployment now is 5.9, and you look at what the feds might, everyone's looking to see what the feds might be thinking about that. And so what we determined, or what the feds signaled, is, uh, hey, there's probably some reason for us to consider it, but we are not because we think the consequence of our raising rates now might have more dire consequences than if we just hold things steady. So they feel that they'll be able to do a correction down the road. Now, the only bad part about that is we don't know when that might happen down the road. So we'll have to pay real close attention to all this. Some great information on the website at mbsquoteline.com, and I encourage you to go check it out. That's going to be an interesting Interesting week as we start getting into the latter part of the week, seeing what moves interest rates and Joe's uh, what they had that they do there at MBS Court Lines just outstanding. Be sure to check it out. We're going to be right back with Alice Alvey. Uh, no, excuse me, Paul Malo's on the line. We're going to be back with Paul Malo in just a minute, and then we're going to get over to Alice Alvey. So anyway, so good to have you be with us. And if I can, uh, I love technology. I got three screens up here and trying to get the mouse to show up so I can press the next button. It's important. Be right back after this brief break. Thank you. Looking for that competitive edge? 
MBS QuoteLine delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS QuoteLine, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS QuoteLine today at mbsquoteline.com. mbsquoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. Always good to have you with us, and it's always good to have Paul Mollo on the line. He and I were emailing back and forth on Friday because he was tracking a story, and it was really fun to, you know, it just amazes me how much he is on top of things. Uh, and, and that, Paul, you do a great job. I don't know how the heck you do that if you, you know, if you've got all these informants all over the industry, but you really do pick up on things. That's really good. Excellent job. And, folks, of course, we're talking about www.imfnews.com. Dot com. Paul, what you got for us? Uh, I don't know. The word informant makes it sound like I'm dealing with the mafia or something here, David. <laughs> informant. Informant. Well, you're staying informed of what's going on. Okay, I thought it was a good word, Jesus, but it does have other implications. You've got great sources on what's happening. How about that? Thank you. Uh, what are we talking about? Oh, listen, well, I, I, there's nothing on the website today about the um, the wingspan story, but listen, the last, you know, last, the last three days of last week, uh, between us and some of uh, our competitors, you know, there was a lot of buzz about what was really going on there. And I think the bottom line is we got a statement finally, by the way, uh, from the folks at Wingspan. Um, oh, you did? Mr. Horn, did. Uh, basically Stephen Horn there. You know, basically saying it looks like a change of controls coming. Stephen's a little unsure about his what his next role is there. Um Interesting situation. I mean, people have known Wingspan for years. Stephen has got a lot of credit for obviously starting the thing and building up the business. Uh, you know, the bigger question behind that story is is really what's what's the future for specialty servicers, and that's something we're going to look yes. at this week in Inside Mortgage Finance, and and that's the bigger question. Um, we'll know more about what's really going on at Wingspan, I think, later in the week or maybe even tomorrow. Uh, but that's the bigger question. I mean, these specialty services built their businesses on troubled loans, and lo and behold, you know, the trouble's going away. So what do they do? Uh, it's, it's a good, it's a good question, a good story, and we'll be bringing more updates on that uh, later in the week. So, anyway, as far as this any, week, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to ask you a question on that note. Do you think anything regarding the Aquin and New York story is going into that? I see those as separate issues, but um, uh, I had someone asking me. That question, you know, late last week, and I'm going. No, I think those are two separate issues. Of what's going on in New York with yeah, Aquin? Yeah, they are related. I mean, trans- Aquin is, you know, they've built their business on high touch servicing, and again, their the high touch servicing is going away. I think Aquin is plenty willing to buy, uh, you know, non high touch servicing out there, uh, a special kind of it, a certain kind of it, but. The problem with them, they've grown so large, is that their their yeah. origination yeah. channel, as we and others have pointed out, is 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 very small compared to their overall portfolio size, and it's going to run off. Uh, and listen, they're going to make good money. They're going to have good cash flow. Everyone points that out, and plenty of people are willing to lend them money. But at some point, they have to come up with a, a game plan and and let the analysts that follow the stock know what's going on there. 
Uh, obviously, it's it's a fascinating story, as as we pointed out before. And there's no update on when that deal that New York State is going to uh, act on the Wells Fargo transaction, which we also and others I think have pointed out is that it's you know that 39 billion that in servicing they were going to buy is running off. Um, yep. You know, so we'll see. Uh, and, and in tandem with servicing, the lead story today is about uh, Basel III, the MSR caps. Uh, those are it's basically been decided, but MBA is is lobbying the regulators, or will soon send a massive. Uh, 11-page letter to uh, the Federal Reserve Chairman and others about, you know, listen, we think this is crazy. It shouldn't the cap shouldn't be 10% of Tier 1 capital. It should be 50% for thrifts and 25% for commercial banks. It's a letter in progress. We got our hands on it, and that's up on the website. It's the biggest story in the weekly. Um, we also have a, another regulatory-related story on no action letters coming from the CFPB on new products. Uh, that's on the website. There's more of that in one of our weeklies as well. Uh, that's you know a story that is is interesting and you know I don't know is this reg relief? No, you know no action letters on new products. But just because you get a no action letter doesn't mean down the road they're going to take action. So that's it's sort of funny in a way. Uh, another story is Altasource, which is a, one of those spinoffs from Aquin. Uh, right. They just doubled their repo line almost with Credit Suite First Boston. That's an interesting spinoff because, you know, they're out there. They're buying non-performing loans. They did the first security Altasource uh, did. Their stock symbols Resi, R-E-S-I. Uh, that's an interesting company. They're out there, you know, buying the product. They did the first security. They got a big repo line. You know, it looks like they're ready to gear up on securitizations on this stuff. Uh, most of this, the, the non-performing stuff has been securitized in the private market, and uh, I'm not sure that's going to change anytime soon. Uh, FHA came out with some new numbers on, on their defects. Uh, they crunched, you know, all the loans coming in uh, through the second quarter. You know, defects are up uh, to some degree, and these are basically loans that get rejected and they get, you know, labeled unacceptable. And then once there's a, they're considered deficient. You know, you could uh, change that rating by, you know, doing other things to the right. loan files. There's some new numbers out on that. Uh, also, there's a more featurey story by Brandon Ivey about, uh, you know, a whole host of lenders rolling out non-QM loan menus. We had one last week about Mountain View. Uh, we've been writing about it, uh, you know, for quite some time. You know, that that's an interesting story just for the fact that everyone, their grandmother's now rolling out these non-QM programs yeah. and you know the bottom line is well okay you're rolling out the programs you know but how much in volume are these these non-QM loans going to generate and that's what everyone's going to be watching the next six months is this going to or how much is this going to make up for uh, the falling refis so uh, that's a fascinating story uh, in the short take session we got a, a short uh, about Aquin again the stock prices I think we pointed out last week it hit a a 52-week low. You know, on paper, investors there have lost a lot of money. That Lots stock peaked at 60. It's down to 23. Uh, you know, what's the future of that company? Again, we talked about it at the top of the broadcast. Uh, you know, it's interesting to point out, it was two years ago that W.L. Ross and Company sold their mortgage banking arm, Home and Residential, to Aquin for, uh, you know, $588 million in cash and then some preferred stock. And it looks like, you know, Wilbur Ross is, you know, one smart guy. It looks like he unloaded this thing at the, uh, at the top of the market. Uh, also, there's, we have a short item about the Community Home Lenders Association asking HUD for, you know, a reduction in, in annual FHA premiums. We'll see if, if that happens. 
Uh, and that's you know that's all the good stuff. It's uh, all on the website. And uh, you know, for a, a holiday Monday, there's plenty of news out there. There is, and I got two messages shot over. It says Paul going to be in. Uh, Las Vegas at the annual conference, they want to meet you. So I quote, I love that. You get you get the fan club. They want to meet you. Fan club. Well, I hate to disappoint you the have. fan club. John Bancroft, my editor and and uh, friend here at uh, Inside Mortgage Finance, who does a great job with our data, he will be there. I'm going to stay home and man the desk here. So someone's got to yeah, stay man back. Man the and, desk. And uh, so he'll be there. But uh, anyway, and they can email oh. me anytime. Well, send John my information. I'd love to connect up if we can, possibly while he's there. We do miss you there, and you do such a great job on this. Literally, folks, I'm. I mean, I, I love kidding around with Paul, but all kidding aside, this has got to be one of the best websites for getting up in the the actionable news of what's happening right now. And uh, the case in point is, uh, Paul's pinging me with an email uh, or a text message every way he can. He says, "You know, Steve, what's up?" And so I was able to get old Steve on the phone and get a statement, encouraged him to call Paul. So I mean, this. It's fun to be able to see you in action, and I got to see that happen last week, so it's good. Always good to have you with us. Enjoy the rest of your Columbus Day, my friend. Thank you. And, too. folks, check out the website. Get signed up for his emails, daily emails, um, and it is www.imfnews.com. Great group of folks there, and we are appreciate very appreciative of having him here. Okay, let's get over to Alice Alvey and talk a little bit about what's going on, Alice. Uh, it's great having your uh, your boss on the line last week. It's great having and those that did not listen to that discussion, I encourage you to download that. Go listen to it and download that discussion. Rajan uh, uh, Nair is just Nair is just one of these guys that's just so articulate and knowledgeable on what's going on in outsourcing, and of course with the story about Flagstar. It's really interesting to get his perspective. Alice, good to have you with us. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be here. Happy Monday. Yes. Are you in the office so, today, or are you uh, are you working from home? I am in the office today. You know, we're all kind of gearing up for the conference, right? Yeah, we'll be at the yeah. MBA annual conference all, you know, starting to head out this weekend. And uh, so this is a busy week preparing for all of that. So hope to see any of you out there who will be there. We have a booth. We'll be exhibiting. Uh, Indicom Mortgage U and Indicom Global Services. Yeah, good. Looking forward to seeing you yeah. there for sure. So my big my big uh, point today. I hope you all are listening. I know it's Monday. You did you know this is <laughs> this is a big deal. This home to proposed rule is a big deal, and only twenty nine individual people have commented. I don't think I'm missing the boat on what a big operational deal this is, and the trickle down. No, you're effect. not. I've I've lived that side where the regulators holding the Humda report and they're coming into your office and they're saying, I need these loans because I think this is a problem. Or they're dissecting field by field off of that report and then matching it to your loan file and questioning you because the income in the loan file from the underwriter making a note is a hundred dollars lower or higher than the number that was actually keyed in and submitted in the Honda loan application register on the LAR. And so we already have uh, anywhere from, depending on the loan, you know, 16 to 20 plus fields that cost us a lot of time and money. And they want to now add, this proposed rule is about adding 25 fields. So when you look at the list, folks, 
if, if things like adding a static number don't bother you, that's fine. If, if you think adding a loan originator's ID number because that's a static event, it's in once, it's done, you know, what big deal is it? I get that. But there are a couple of these fields that are absolutely moving targets and give lots of exposure. And the few I would say at the very least you should be commenting on are submitting the automated underwriting system results. Now, so all you're going to send in is what? Approve eligible or refer, refer with caution. You know how those are not, you know, uh, especially for those of you who do portfolio lending, right? Are the AUS results relevant to the fact that you ended up doing a portfolio loan? So now you get into all these questions. I can just see the FAQs that are going to grow out of this. Oh, yeah. To try and decide, yes. uh, okay, what if I didn't close it on those AUS results? What if I chose to close it a different way uh, as opposed to actually selling it to Fannie or Freddie, what do I do now? Um, and do I really want to have to publish that? Because obviously that gets into the underwriting uh, scenario of the law. Value, appraised value is another target that moves around, has a lot of detail within it. And then the QM status. Uh, you know, we've got companies right now that, um, especially small creditors, they're getting hit really hard on this. And I'm surprised that uh, some of the associations aren't speaking up louder for the small creditors because, you know, for them to even start reporting under this is going to be a big deal. But then for them to try and uh, any, any bank portfolio lender that's saying, I'm going to do non-QM loans, do I really want that on the Humda report? Do I want that, you know, a blazing statistic out there? Or again, mm -hmm. if I get it wrong, right, a loan is QM when I close it and then it changes uh, somewhere along the line. So that's what I would uh, stress to you to, uh, as you look at this list of fields, there's many reported related to pricing, uh, many reported to or related to kind of these things that require judgment and aren't as stable. And I would say we need to respond that we are not, we do not want these on this report. Pick a few that we can add to now, but to throw 25 new fields in, my guess it would be like reporting for 2016, if not 2017, is going to be a big operational change just after, after we would have gotten over integrating disclosures. Uh, so, you know, it's one more thing afterwards that we don't need to have. So that would be my big thing there. No movement yet in the House Bill 5461. Uh, we are watching that. We don't have a lot of days that Congress and the Senate are in session for the rest of the year. So <laughs> not holding on a lot of hope with too much moving through uh, Congress. But that proposed rule is a big one, I think. So make sure you get out and comment. I'll let you know, too, if we see any of the agencies' reports. So far, I don't see anything from you know, just individuals. I haven't seen any of the you know, MBA and some of the other uh, big associations file their uh, reports yet, so, or their responses yet. Um, so it's, and then uh, one quick note, too, about truth and lending integrated disclosures. Uh, for those of you who are looking for kind of a feed of information, send me an email, alice.alvi at indicom.net. Uh, we are rolling out training and training templates that you can use now. So don't waste your in time internally developing your own training. Give us a call, and we'll help you get started on that uh, right away so that we can save you lots of time and lots of money. Lots of time, lots of money, and time mm -hmm. is money. And you do, not only that, you really do a great job on these manuals. I've seen them, and you are, of all the things you do so well, uh, speaking in public and so if you need a conference speaker, Alice is the person to call on. Love being, love to do that together with her anytime I get a chance. But the manual she writes, wow, guys, it, folks, it's really, really good stuff. So appreciate it so much, Alice. Really thank you so much for being here and looking forward to being with you next week in Las Vegas. 
there's a lot happening, and I think this is going to be a really interesting conference. Now, what's interesting, Alice, are you hearing a lot of people are going to be here at the conference? Are you? Is there... Do you anticipate from what you're following up there's going to be good attendance? It seems like it, but I am hearing a fair number of independent mortgage bankers saying that they're going to they're going to miss the Las Vegas conference and they're going to the one in uh, the independent mortgage banking conference in um uh, over at uh it, where is it at? That's coming up at um the Hotel Dell in December. I believe it's December the first week of December. So, have you got a sense for this conference? Well, we have been looking at the attendee list, and uh, attendees look good, but I would say that uh, there is, definitely might be an impact, the fact that the MBA has split uh, the and is offering that additional event. You know, but I would tell people it's still uh, a whole different feel, you know, at the national to really see what's going on in the industry as a, as a whole. I've found it very valuable um, over the years. Yeah, and there's no question. I think this is the one to be to really be at. I encourage you all to check it out. Be sure to join us. I forgot to talk about the conferences that are coming up, um, and I'm going to do that right after the break. But, Alice, thank you so much. Good to have you with us. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. That's good to have you with us, folks. A real quick rundown on the conferences. The Northeast Conference for Mortgage Brokers and Bankers, it's going to be October 14th this week through the 16th at the Trump Taj Mahal Casino Resort in Atlantic City. I'm flying out there tomorrow and looking forward to that. And speaking on the topic, our hot topic we're going to have a little bit later on in the broadcast, not much later, just right around the corner, um, on the topic of mini correspondence. So I'm joining Ari Karen there on the panel to be one of the panelists. Very looking forward to that discussion. Uh, then also, I encourage you to check out the MBA's annual conference. If you're not registered, do so. Like Alice said, there is so much announced at this conference. I mean, the Independent Mortgage Banking Conference, I brought it up. It is the um, December 3rd through the 5th in, at Hotel Dell in and uh, at the Coronado Island in, in San Diego, beautiful place, and it's going to be a good conference. A lot of good stuff there, but I think the, of, of the two, I mean, it's if you had to choose one, I don't know, it'd be it'd be difficult, but I I would be at the national because that's where really the big focus is. A lot of things are focused, but go to both of them. And if you can't make the one there, make sure the MBA's Independent Mortgage Banking Conference, December 3rd through the 5th, is another great one. Also, we have the MBA's Mergers and Acquisition. Uh, workshop that is November 6th in the Weston Dallas Fort Worth Airport, and uh, it's going to be well attended. A lot of people are already flying in my uh, for that particular conference. My business partner Chuck Klein will be speaking at that. Then also want to call your attention to the Texas Mortgage Bankers Association 64th Annual 
educational seminar and marketplace. We have a warehouse conclave, and it's November 19th from 2 to 5. Now, you would not believe we have as a lineup. Every one of the warehouse blenders are here, and we're going to be focusing in on QM loans, non-QM loans. Really interesting. Got an in-depth, really great debate on the mini correspondent program. Also, just the risks that are out there in the marketplace. Again, this is primarily for the warehouse lenders. But I'm really surprised with the lineup of speakers we have, one of which is now one of the senior people at CFPB uh, coming to talk to the warehouse lenders. We're getting a lot of mortgage bankers wanting to show up and hear what their their uh, their warehouse lenders are hearing in kind of the anticipation. So I encourage you to check that out. It is at, also at the Westin, but this one's at the Westin in Houston. Alice and I will both be there. I invited Alice to be on a panel. And I'm moderating all three panels full-time job there, and a, but I'm really looking forward to it. Lots going on on the calendar. Let's run over to uh, Sam Garcia. Sam has always got such great information up on his website, mortgagedaily.com. Sam, good to have you with, the broad, with us on the broadcast today. Thanks for joining in. Hey, thanks for having me, David. And uh, one other conference you probably might want to mention is uh, next week on the same days as the Mortgage Bankers uh, Conference is the American Bankers Association holding yes. their annual conference here in Dallas, home of the Cowboys. Go Cowboys, huh? Oh, yeah, they beat my Seattle Seahawks. My gosh, I usually root for the Cowboys, but when they're playing Hawks, my Hawks, boy, I tell you, Seahawks just, I don't know what happened there, game. They played. Yeah, don't, for, don't forget your Texans also. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, I, I, Texas. You all, you all remind me. I, you know, good to have you here, but you weren't born here, so. You, <laughs> 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 yeah, Texas that are born here are really proud of it. So anyway, it's good to be in Texas. I love Texas. It is my home state now. So, so what's on the news here? I'm looking at your website. Great website again. One of the more critical websites where I think for getting great information. But, you know me, I'm a real big fan of your reports. But what do you have for us today? Well, you know, I think probably the the best news is that, you know, just ahead of the Columbus Day holiday, we saw activity uh, jump uh, on refinances by 16% from the prior week in our mortgage market index that we do with uh, Optimal Blue and Loan Sifter. And uh, in addition, jumbo business was up 12%, and uh, jumbo rates were 12 basis points better than conforming. So, it was, you know, it was kind of a, a nice week given that we had, you know, the semi-holiday out front there. And then uh, another thing we saw, that kind of big news last week in the reverse mortgage sector, was that Generation Mortgage announced that it was actually going to stop originating reverse mortgages. And I this is the saw that on your website. That was really interesting. Yeah, and this is the company. Uh, when you're looking at just government insured FHA HECMs, they were the uh, number seven uh, originator for HECMs during the 12 months ended September 30th. So, you know, it's it's kind of just continuing in that little sector there. We've seen it, you know, started a few years ago when Wells and Bank of America got out and a lot of other players, and uh, still kind of diminishing. The production still kind of falling off there. We'll see if that ever turns around. Um, another thing we saw happen last week was that uh, Wells Fargo agreed to a maternity settlement. Um, you know, they, they, they sent us... They sent us a statement, you know, it's like this is probably the easiest way to get out of this instead of uh, fighting litigation. But um, the thing was, is the, the $5 million they're paying in that settlement uh, is the biggest one we've tracked so far. And we've, we've tracked uh, 15 maternity settlements since 2011 uh, for a total of $7.3 million. 
So it's, it's kind of a tough spot for, for lenders because on the one hand, they've got to comply with ability to repay rules. And on the other hand, you know, they've got to watch out for not being too tight. You know, it's kind yeah. of hot in the middle here. So it almost feels like a no-win sometimes. Uh, that one we, is a that, that's go ahead. I'm sorry, but that is a tightrope, and it is a little bit of a quandary. I love to get Alice's feedback after we get past your segment here. Go on. Of yeah, course. and I and I saw actually along those lines, I saw that article that uh, David Stevens wrote for USA Today. Um, kind mm-hmm. of along those lines, you know, we really need to make regulation a little bit uh, more practical so that lenders will feel you know a little bit more uh, risk taking in their in their. Uh, and they're lending because right now it's just kind of like don't make any mistakes or else, you know. Yeah. But uh, uh, another thing we saw last week was RealtyTrack put out a uh, a report that indicated 800,000 uh, home equity lines of credit were closed in the 12 months ended June 30th. That was the highest volume during that 12 month period since 2009. So there's an uptick there. Um, which RealtyTrack sees as an opportunity for lenders looking for business, and you know that business can be a little bit higher yielding. So, uh, as you know, regular traditional fundings go down, that's a something that possibly can replace them. But you know, realistically, even though we were we were up to 800,000 in the 12-month period, it's nowhere near the 3.3 million HELOCs that were closed in uh, the 12 months ended in June 2006. So, still got a ways to go for a recovery there. But uh, at least there's something going on as far as uh, looking positive. And, and then we're seeing that, uh, you know, junior lien performance at banks is uh, continuing to strengthen. American Bankers Association reported that 30-day uh, delinquency on uh, home equity loans was 21 basis points lower in the second quarter than it was in the first quarter. And HELOC delinquency dropped seven basis points. So uh, it's good to see improving performance, uh, at least at the banks, uh, for those junior lien type of products. Yeah, it's really encouraging. I've got one particular person who is going to find that very interesting and important data point. Good. Yeah, and then the also seniors, millennials, uh, this seismic shift, uh, that was fascinating. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that if you look at all the debt that uh, the average senior citizen holds, um, we saw that 76.3% of it was mortgage debt. So actually seniors have upped their uh, their share of mortgage debt from 71.5% in 2005. And then on the other side of that, when we look at people that are between 20 and 29, the mortgage share of their debt fell to 42.9% this That's year fascinating. Versus, versus 63% in 2005. And, uh, you know, it's, you, you we're dealing with some people here who, you know, the millennials that basically uh, in their entire business life have pretty much seen real estate you know, fall through the floor and not be a good investment. So they probably look at it a little bit differently than a lot of the people, you know, the generations that preceded them. Um, and then, of course, student debt is huge, and it's weighing on, uh, you know, how much they can really go yeah. out and borrow. So you know, that's a big yes, factor. Yes, yes, so true. Um, we saw that Ginnie so. Mae uh, issuance dropped uh, in uh, September down 10% from August. Um, which kind of reflects what we've seen lately, which is a you know slowing of uh, overall of uh, government insured mortgages just in the last couple of months. But we'll see where that takes off to. And then uh, finally, uh, this, the, the reason I bring up this particular story is because it gives us a little bit of an indication of where originations are on a monthly basis, closed loans, and that's Radian uh, saw its business increase in September, up six percent from August. So. Uh, you know that probably suggests that in general originations across the country were were up uh, 
for September. And, of course, we'll find out tomorrow, starting tomorrow, with J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo putting out their earnings reports, what the originations actually did do at the lenders. And you do a great job of tracking all this data and putting it out there. I mean, there's there's news, there's data, but I just find your data that you bring out very, very fascinating. This story about the millennials and how seniors' debt is going up and millennials is going down, that is just the opposite of what it should be, at least you'd think it would be. Now, I wonder if the seniors' debt going up is because of the Heckam's, the reverse mortgages. I wonder if that is a contributing factor. I would say not. It's just reverse mortgages are such a small, small percentage of overall debt. And I would suggest that uh, as many seniors, you know, went through the uh, recession, some of them found themselves having to borrow, uh, having to use up money that they, you know, weren't intending on and having to work longer. And so uh, instead of paying off mm-hmm. the debt like they might have done normally, they really they relied on uh, keeping it in place. And, you know, um, it's, a, it's a different world now post-recession. Yeah, very fascinating. Well, good stuff. I check it out, folks. MortgageDaily.com, and uh, I, I'm very appreciative of Sam coming onto the broadcast and giving us an update. Uh, some of the latest data numbers. Any data that you have, any reports out there that you would, you would particularly want to call our, our listeners' attention to? Um, you know, uh, the, uh, the I always go back to our individual profiles of the biggest companies out there. We've probably got about fifty profiles and. You know, on each one of these things, we've got annual uh, originations, uh, servicing portfolios, number of employees, uh, you know, top officers. This is all mortgage-related data for each company. So we've got some incredible profiles for each of the big players out there. So good stuff. Great information on this website. Check it out, www.mortgagedaily.com. It's great to have you on the broadcast. Happy Columbus Day, and hope you enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Thank you, sir. You too. Good to have you here with us. We're always thrilled to have you, the listeners, here, and we do these broadcasts to really bring information like this to you, kind of cover all that's going on out there. It's a one-stop shop, one place to come and gather up kind of as what we think are the most important headlines out there. So we appreciate each one of our contributors. And we are very honored to have with us today both Scott Valby of Greg and Valby as well as Brad Lua of Greg and Valby. Both of them, are, I've known Scott for years and just getting to know Greg, but, excuse me, Brad, but um, I've known Greg for years. He's finally retired. So we had them on the broadcast a while back, the two of them, talking about their partnership and how it works so successfully so for so many years. But it's good to have you with us, Scott, and then I'll have you introduce Brad to our audience. You're well known to many of our listeners out there because you've been on before and also bit of a legend within the industry here, but if you could introduce Brad and give us a little of his background, and very excited, very impressed with what he's written on the Minicore program, Scott. Well, thank you, David. I appreciate that. Uh, you, you all say so many kind things to me, and, and certainly we have a mutual admiration society. Um, <clears throat> Brad Lua is, um, is an attorney with our firm. He's been here, gosh, probably five or six years, but I have known Brad for more than 15 years, um, actually since before he went to law school, and, and he is married to a longtime friend of mine. Uh, Brad was um, was born and reared and educated in China and uh, oh, wow. came to the United States a number of years ago and was uh, received his law degree at SMU Law School in Dallas, where he Good graduated school. with honors. Yeah. He practiced law in Dallas for a few years and then went to work with a Los Angeles-based firm, uh, doing intellectual property law, 
and he spent uh, he and his family spent several years in in China in Beijing uh, uh, representing large companies in intellectual property matters and ultimately they wanted to get back to the United States and because we were old friends he called me and I was able to talk him into uh, coming to Houston and working with me and he has just done such a phenomenal job uh, over the past few years he is um, an exceptional writer an exceptional manager of people uh, he actually manages a group of folks within our firm who do um, uh, fulfillment for many correspondents, mm-hmm. probably in excess Good. of 500 units a month for many correspondents wow. all over the country. And and <clears throat> not only is he excellent at practicing what he does, but he is able to um, take complicated subjects, uh, analyze them, and present them to folks in, in writing and through public speaking. So I've just been uh, enormously blessed to work with Brad over these past few years and he has written some things on the mini court the CFPB's uh, recent uh, responses to the mini correspondent field that have received um, some excellent acclaim oh. across the country and appreciate you having us on to visit about it well we uh Brad's at your recommendation sent it over to me this last week you had published this in July and we received it. And I looked at it then, but with, there seems to be so much attention, especially I'm speaking on it this week in New Jersey at the conference, at the Northeast Conference of Mortgage Brokers and Bankers in Atlantic City. And uh, so I'm really interested in just doing my homework on it. And I re- went back and pulled this at the same time as it's being sent to me. And I go, wow, this is really well done. So, Brad, I want to say thank you for doing some homework and helping me as I prepare for this topic, and I'll be speaking on both uh, this week and then again on the 19th of November. So welcome to the broadcast. You hang with some really favorite people of mine, and so uh, Scott and the whole crew there at Scott and Valby, uh, Greg and Valby, excuse me, um, really good group of folks. So it's good to have you on the broadcast. Uh, I just want to welcome you and make sure your mic's on and you hear me all right. Yes, I hear you, and thank you for, for the invite. Uh, it's an honor. It's really an honor. Uh, any friend of Greg's, uh, Greg Valby's is a friend of ours, and I mean that sincerely. I want to get in, and Alice, I want you to join me on this. I, Alice has got the notes from this. Unfortunately, we did not get your questions. I don't know what. I'm not sure if it's on our side. I'm getting emails in here, guys, but I'm not sure why I didn't get you. So we're going to have to go down uh, this I line. I sent them again to Alice. Alice oh, you did? Okay, good. Now. Yeah, she Maybe got it. we... Uh, uh, she got it. I have, uh, Alice, if you could forward those on. But let's get into this. What I want to start off with, uh, Brad, is really address the issue that in, from your analysis and what you're reading on us, and Alice then jump in on opine on this. But why is the CFPB taking such an interest in the mini-correspondent lending? Is it because there were some workarounds that really were troubling to the CFPB? Give us your insights, Brad. Let's start with you, and then Alice, I want you to opine on that. Yes, I think that's precisely the reason. I think it's a perceived um, invasion of evasion of existing consumer protection laws. As you as you know, and your audience knows, under existing uh, laws, both RESPA and TILA, brokers' compensation must be disclosed properly disclosed. Uh, on certain documents like GFE and the final HUD, and also the broker's compensation must be included in some uh, uh, standards, i.e. the QM points of fees and the HOPA uh, points of fees. But 
for a secondary market transaction that's bona fide, uh, the broker's compensation is is not part of any of this consideration. So um, the CFPB uh, considered that some brokers have converted themselves into what's so-called a mini-correspondent, and they're using that name to originate loans to evade the disclosure uh, laws. That's really interesting. Alice, your thoughts on, on – are you seeing this to be – did you sense this was a problem, Alice? Alice? Alice, is your mic muted? I bet it I'm is. I'm sorry. I got it. Yep, sorry. We definitely work with customers that manage their wholesale and correspondent business in multiple ways, right? And so uh, companies that try to manage – True wholesale. I'm, I'm working with mortgage brokers, and then the, you know they look at trying to how can I make pricing better. The broker wants to begin to transform to mini to true correspondent. You know, and in, in, in that direction, in the effort to keep a client, companies end up offering. You know, the wholesalers end up offering all different hybrids of services, right? So, right. The, the term, you know, th- this process has been around. We did this in the 90s, you know, in the early 90s, right. actually the late 80s, right? So I guess my, my question is, it's it's always been out there to assist companies in growing, and some of them do have very legitimate uh, processes. I think the evasion comes in when someone's just trying to be so thin on how much is really changing between a broker to a you know, to trying to be this mini core. So, um, Brad, can you kind of help folks see where that line is? I mean, certainly if the wholesaler is still doing processing for them, it's that's very clearly going to be a problem. How do you mm-hmm. kind of get to how much is, is enough to be a legitimate mini correspondent? Alice, I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, the CIPB uh, also acknowledged that you know there are some brokers that are uh, you know, calling themselves mini correspondents, but in substance, what they do day in and day out, they're still acting like a broker. But there are some um, mini correspondents; they are actually transitioning from a broker to a full correspondent, and what they do is different from what they used to do as a broker. So, um, of course, the the true question here is. What are the critical elements? What are the factors that the CAPB will consider in trying to distinguish between those so-called mini-correspondents and those that are truly transitioning into a full correspondent? So let's get into some of those. Let's get down. You've written on there, looking at this publication. We're going to give uh, everyone your contact information so they can write you about this. But provide the the definitions or what you provided in this document, if you could cover these briefly. So what, what are those uh, delineations? I think the, um, the policy guidance issued by the CAPB um, – they have given some very, very good questions that um, they will use um, to 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 do their analysis. And, but I I have uh, put those questions or tests into four different categories. The I think the first and foremost is you must focus on the money. Mm-hmm. Where Follow the money. Did yep. the lo- where did the money come from? to fund those loans. What distinguishes a 
table of funded transaction and a true secondary market transaction is the source of the funds. Right. Uh, as you know, a table of funded transaction, the money come from the, comes from the investor that buys the loan. Um, right. But for a bona fide secondary market transaction, the money comes from the lender's warehouse bank. So the CFPB is going to ask, where did you get the money? Do you have a bona fide warehouse line of credit, or do you have multiple bona fide warehouse line of credit? Is that so more the focus, Brad, is the number of warehouses? I mean, if there are the old captured, quote-unquote, warehouse facilities where someone's a lower net, per, net worth person, they'll, they'll extend them this, quote-unquote, line of credit, but it's a captured facility. These people can't go anywhere else. And I'm hearing you say that that's what becomes the problem. Well, the number of lines is important, but at the same time, the CFPB is going to look at look behind the scenes to see whether or not that's truly a bona fide warehouse line of credit. You know, a bona fide warehouse line of credit is one where there it's it's an arm's length transaction between the uh, the lender and the warehouse bank. the The warehouse bank is going to go through its own due diligence checks. It's going to look at the assets, the um, net worth, the experience of the lender in in deciding how much the facility should be. But I have okay. a question, Brad. So on, a, on the legal side, um, this is one of the questions I have. If, when you conduct a warehouse line review and you go out and you audit that uh, broker now who has a, let's call it an arm's length bank warehouse line, right? It's not a captive mm-hmm. line. I've gone out to, my, to a bank, and I think I have this arm's length line. When that warehouse line review comes out, they're going to say, you know, if I focus on things like compliance and process, which CFPB brings up, if mm-hmm. I have in my contract, um, I've got that my wholesaler is going to, or my now new correspondent investor is going to be handling certain procedures for me, um, but I've got my policies in line. I've got some basic procedures. That warehouse lender is probably going to say they're okay, um, whereas CFPB has now drawn a much greater line, at least in my opinion. It's not a bright line anymore. Um, so I'd, I'd like your thoughts on that. I mean, is it do you can, can a broker be, con- or I should say, a mini correspondent be confident if I have an arm's length line that that warehouse line review is enough to say I, I, I should pass a CFPB review since I passed a warehouse line review? I, I think um, the warehouse line of credit is one of the factors. As, as I, I just briefly alluded to a few minutes ago, the CFPB is going to take a a uh, more holistic approach in the analysis. The first thing they're going to look at is is uh, the money. Where did the money come from in funding the loans? That besides that, they're also going to look at the um, the mini correspondent lenders' uh, activities. What functions it performed? Uh, what duties and responsibilities it, it had in the origination of the loan? Did it right. take the loan from application? all the way to the cell, uh, how much of that function was done by the many correspondent versus other parties like the uh, the investor. Of course, the, um, the more that the uh, many correspondent does, the more it looks and acts like a full correspondent 
that's what the CFPB is is comparing the mini correspondent against. Is are you acting more and more like a full correspondent versus a broker? Do you so that's think another it's a one, factor they consider. I'm sorry. Do you think it's a one-off thing within a wholesaler or? So certainly I think they're going to start at the wholesaler level because that's where the deeper pockets are and they're going to be able to get a vantage view down of multiple companies. And so I think they're going to also look at the wholesaler's patterns. You know, is the wholesaler truly helping to grow the mini correspondence to a correspondent level? Or if, if I'm a wholesaler, I have just, I've taken my services to a, a, a level that I believe these folks are operating like a true correspondent except for underwriting. I, I've I've made sure that this group is doing enough. They're doing their own QC. They're doing, uh, they've got their own compliance, their own policies. The only thing they're not doing is the underwriting, which is essentially where the term comes from, right? They just don't have the, the stomach for the credit risk <laughs> or the expertise. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, can I operate a large group of clients at that level? Or is the CFPB looking for that people have to graduate, you know, to full correspondence? Right. Right. I think uh, that's an excellent question, and I do believe what the uh, the investor does in connection with the, these mini correspondents is also material. As you know, in the in these uh, secondary market transactions, usually the investors play a very important role in how the you know the loan program is is structured. You know, as as uh, sellers, the Correspondence or many correspondence, they're going to have to comply with the what the investor says. If the investor says, "Hey, you got to do this A through Z," the the seller is going to have to do that. So, if the if the investors are structuring their programs to enable the many correspondence to you know, gradually take on more responsibilities and to uh, ensure that they do annual reviews to see if they have progressed um you know gradually or incrementally toward becoming a full correspondent and i think those measures uh, are material as well well i want to where does the liability lie in this is it with both sides of the transaction if they get it wrong in uh, there's been no lawsuits that I've seen or any actions taken since this has been published, if, or has there been? I am not aware of any enforcement action that's been published yet. Okay, I didn't think so. I, I haven't heard about it. We would read about it, I suspect, if they would. Guys like Paul Mahler right. would have gotten up there, or or, or uh, uh, Sam Garcia would have gotten it out there. But so... What, where is the where is the perceived liability? Both sides equally, or because of the deeper pockets of the 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 uh, I guess it's the mini correspondent lender that's buying the loan, funding the loan. Is that where the greatest risk you suspect might be? And I think it's it's on both sides. Let's let's just take one step back. Let's assume that the CFPB finds a particular loan transaction to be. Um, to be done wrong, to be a um, broker transaction or table-funded transaction uh, that's been disguised as a uh, full correspondent or secondary market transaction. Okay, let's assume that that's being established by the CFPB. Then what is the liability? Then we know that the disclosures on the loan um, probably is wrong. Uh, The GFE, the HUD, they're all wrong. Then mm-hmm. we know that the QM points of fees test, that's wrong. Uh, 
and uh, and then the yeah. liability will go both to I think to the mini correspondent and ultimately the creditor in here would be uh, the the investor that uh, bought the loan, right? Because you have uh, basically um, undone the loan and you 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 peel it back and you figure it out. Oh, this is really a broker transaction. Yep, and I I, I say that with. As an expert witness on so many cases, I so well know the uh, how the plaintiff bar looks at these things. They're going for the deepest pockets, but they're going to go through yes. the whole process uh, when when if this does get if any of these things ever get class certified. So it's really interesting. Um, Callis, I'm interested in your comment that you wrote earlier. I wrote it down. Is it seems to blur the lines rather than uh, draw a cleaner line on this thing? Your insights. I'd like to get some more insights on that, and get then also have Brad respond to that. Oh, I uh, you just played right into what my next question was. I have a real <laughs> problem with on what grounds, you know. And I think you even allude to this a little bit, you know, Brad, in one of your statements here that there's no binding. This is non-binding policy guidance, and Correct. you know, every law out there is written on who funded the loan. Just that basic, right? Who funded it? Mm-hmm. Not all the procedural steps to get there. And, I, and so the CFPB is trying to say, we believe we have ways to interpret this if you're trying to circumvent the law. And so I have a hard, that's what I mean by blurred the lines, which I know you, you write about. I, 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 how do they, how, on what grounds would they cite you? Because you just described that it could be at a transaction level. I could have one file or they could, how far back can they go? Right? I mean, can mm-hmm. they go back and say, I think you've been doing this for, you know, since mm, July of 2011 when we got authority, and I'm going to write you up for every single one of the loans you've done. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, what, that. What grounds, and how does this, you know, so what grounds? What grounds do they have to make this work? That I think that's that's really, really the tough tough question here is they they appear to have uh, they they say pretty clearly in the policy guidance that they're going to look at a comprehensive list of questions and no question listed is determinative in their decision making whether or not a particular loan is uh, uh is is questionable so they they're going to look at the whole picture the whole picture may may be uh, may be com- may be formulated by um, multiple loans or multiple loan transactions in multiple relationships with multi multiple investors, and it may may also consist of uh, you know their own practices and uh, and own procedures and processes, whether or not they have vendor management, whether they have uh, you know all the, they have met all those compliance requirements expected of a, a typical lender. So it this has made things sort of very very blurry. I mm-hmm. I think the the answer to your question is I don't know. Nobody knows uh until yeah. they they do something, until they issue a consent order against somebody. But we do know that through other consent orders the CAPP has has issued against uh, uh, various parties or lenders or settlement service providers, they tend to reach back uh, quite a few years um, in issuing uh, those consent orders. That's really interesting. I mean, that's, you know, as a business owner, 
it just really causes some anxiety out there on this. Uh, I, I, as, Scott, I'd love to get your comments. You've been on this. I know Brad's the one that's done a lot of the work on here. We just have a few moments left. Uh, any thoughts on what you're hearing here? You've been, been at this as long as I have been, which is longer we both want to admit. <laughs> well, thank you for the opportunity to, to share here at the end. Um, you know, what I'm seeing in the marketplace with, with all of our customers um, and, and folks that I visit with that aren't customer, customers of ours is that um, there's a heavy emphasis on compliance. Um, people want to understand what HUD is saying, what CFPB is saying, and they want to structure their programs appropriately. And, right. and never in, in the history of mortgage lending, going back into the 90s, have we ever gotten the, the clearest guidance we'd like to have in order to make our decisions. There's always uh, gaps that we have to fill and anticipate. And so I, I don't think that we can expect, expect perfect clarity on, on anything that comes out at any point in time, but we need to just evolve and adapt. And, and I think that, that Brad has done a great job in not only summarizing what the CFPB says, but in providing some analysis that gives people uh, at least an opportunity to choose to move forward and to head in a direction. As a, as you've told me once before, uh, you know, when it's gray, you either choose to play or you choose to stay away. And so I don't think that we're going to get anything much different than gray, except as as gray evolves into black or white on various issues that are enunciated by the CFPB or HUD. But I think that right now that mini correspondent is alive and well, and those that are doing it will want to do it better. And it I know an no opportunity question. to change and evolve. The best way for people to get a hold of you is to get a hold of you through your phone line, or what would you prefer? I got your website up here, www.greg with the two G's or three G's at g r e g g dash valby v a l b y dot com. How else should they get a hold of you? Should we have a contact Brad directly? Uh, uh, Brad uh, b l u o at greg dash valby dot com. He he loves to receive emails, and you're always welcome to call our. Telephone seven one three nine six zero thirteen seventy seven. We love to to visit with the folks out there. It's good to have you both here. Appreciate you being here, taking time. Uh, very informa- good information. We uh, we could spend a whole hour on this hot topic because it is it is going to be hot and getting hotter. So we'll we have to come back and visit this after I do some of these panels. We'll have you come back and uh, get into it some more. Brad, thank you so much for the work you've done on this. Appreciate you taking time, both of you taking time to be with us. Well, you're welcome. And just a little plug for Brad, he's written written a great piece on the uh, the latest CFPB consent order on the Lighthouse uh, wow. issue yeah. on mortgage marketing services agreements. So, uh, so more to come. More to come. We got to have you back on that one as well. We're going to allow more time though. Good to have you both with us. Appreciate you both much. Have a great rest of the day. Folks, we'll be back next week broadcasting live for the NBA in Las Vegas. Have a great week, everybody. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys. This has been Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Elvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week, and thank you for listening. 